Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phone. And joining us as he does every Saturday at 10 from Tightland Outdoors, one of our favorite contributors, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm looking outside, and I had put winter in my rearview mirror, and I couldn't feel better. (laughs) (laughs) It it is definitely uh, feeling the vibes of spring and summer, that is for sure. Yeah, it's actually more summer-like than I would even expect this time of the year. I think we'll get back in the 60s towards the end of the week, but I'll take that. That's good. I mean, it's uh, it's beautiful out. The water's going to warm up. This is going to – these few days of warm weather are going to trigger some activity, aren't they? Absolutely, Terry. I, I think it's it's kind of a combination of, of a lot of things, you know, talking about the, the warmer weather. Obviously, we have turkey on the brain. You've been covering that. We're not going to hit it hard, but that warmer weather definitely helps out the activity of the turkeys. Uh, so Hunter's getting ready for, for that upcoming weekend of that. Um, this weather couldn't be more perfect. I think we're so accustomed here, especially the, the people hunting the mountain birds, are so accustomed to that opening weekend being snow. It's just one of those things that it seems like it always snows on opening turkey. Uh, right now the forecast is looking good, so we're excited about that. Uh, and most importantly, we have two major things uh, in the fishing world that this warmer weather does. One, obviously, as a front-range angler, walleye is a peak species for us. Uh, the walleye are an absolutely full-blown spawn. But the warmer that water gets, it really helps that spawn kind of take place. And more than anything, helps wrap it up. Um, so, you know, if you looked at your walleye population right now today, you looked at your Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Pueblo, we're probably sitting at, we're approaching probably a, a 60, 65% post-spawn uh, activity. And then the remaining fish are in spawn. Um, as far as on your main lakes, not counting Aurora, not counting Carter or Horsetooth, our pre-spawn is 100% done. Um, so we're in, and the warmer that water gets and the warmer these days are, just helps put more fish into post-spawn. And I think if you talk to any angler that really understands the concepts of those spring walleyes, those post-spawn fish are the ones we want. Um, you know, as opposed to a pre-spawn fish, it's just kind of moody, kind of picky, a spawning fish that you have to hit on the head. These post-spawn fish, they are hungry, they're aggressive, they're looking for food, which is probably the major ticket. Uh, so, so it's great. So this warmer weather, we, we can't be more excited about it. We were catching fish at Cherry Creek, Chapio, Pueblo. Uh, we're catching them on a lot of cranks, a lot of the traditional post-spawn tactics with lead core. Um, but there's some fish that are even moving far enough along with post-spawn. We're starting to see some activity on jigs and, and things like that. So it's very exciting to have this warm water to really push along those walleyes. And then on the other species, let's just say bass, for example, that warmer water is just getting them active. You know, they're not in spawn yet, but just that warmer water gets them out of that deeper pools, you know, kind of increases the metabolism, increases the food. Um, So all the species that aren't spawning, that warmer weather just gets them excited. The warmer weather also draws in some some snow melt. So now that we have river and inlets flowing, 
it's definitely boosting the activity of that. Even I was on the ice actually yesterday. I was on Terriol. We still have 31 inches on Terriol. So uh, we are nowhere near ice off up there. But even on that fishery, I have water on top of the ice. So we had about two inches of water on top of the ice because the river, the inlet is flowing so hard. It's pumping water under the ice. So, you know, we had a, a lot of color to the water under the ice which is good because that's just nutrient water. It's high oxygen water. And we had water flowing on top of the ice. There's so much water coming in. So it's just good to see it had the pipe fired up, the lake trout are fired up. Um, everything is happening with this warm weather. It's just kind of spring in nature. Uh, nature loves that that kind of post-winter uh, opportunity. So very exciting and a lot of opportunities as an angler here in Colorado. I want to talk a little bit about some techniques because I know a lot of people are want to hear how you're chasing the walleyes. We did get a texter who fishes wants to fish walleyes from shore at Chatfield. So if you were going to go out, are we still getting enough fish close to shore? Is there a shoreline? Chatfield has changed so much that I've, I hesitate to give a personal recommendation, but I said you would be the man. Absolutely, Terry. There is, there's a ton of opportunity from shore right now. And honestly, you have a, a wide variety of techniques. Um, for the most part, I would say if you want to, to give the easiest advice, it's really the low light period. Now, I'm not saying you have to stay out in the dark. I'm not saying you have to fish all night. Um, but, you know, from 6 o'clock uh, to dark, and even if you want to stay after dark, that opportunity for fishing, spawning fish, as well as a, a few, you know, kind of post-spawn fish, that opportunity exists. Um, the, the whole, you know, basically like the, the North Shore or the North Boat Dock or North Shore Marina area. Um, so the North Boat Dock area, obviously it's riprap. But there's a really nice path that kind of takes you down the north side of that before you really get into what we consider the dam. Um, all of those rocks, they're a little deeper than the normal dam face. So you don't get quite a snag. So I would stay right inside the north boat dock. Um, and that opportunity throwing some jerk baits has been great. Um, you know, they've really been into kind of a, a brighter color this year than normal. So if you took like a Smithwick Rogue uh, or a Husky Jerk, but they're really hitting bright colors like chartreuse, uh, anything with like some orange on it. Um, those baits are doing very well. So that from 6 o'clock to dark right there on those rocks is being very productive. Um, if you go over to the South Marina, you have two options. You can go to the South Marina, fish near the, the points on the South Marina, so the Handicap Pier area. Um, you have a lot of fish on those rocks, and those rocks are new. Uh, so they just basically put in that riprap, and walleyes are on them. Um, as well as if you go over towards the Plum Creek, they consider it Roxborough Cove. Now, those are going to be 100% post-spawn fish, but same thing. The same jerk baits casting into Roxborough Cove, a lot of walleye opportunity there. So in the Roxborough Cove area, you can literally just walk up and down that point. So you're walking down the South Marina Point, and you're casting to the east, um, and there's a lot of fish in there right now. So so those are a lot of great opportunities. And if you're you know limited and you can't go in the evening, um, same thing. If you went to the Handicap Pier, uh, uh, right there where they have a new pier, you fish the rocks to the side of it, but you could throw jigs from there during the day um, and have some opportunity at walleye. It's not going to be quite as significant as the low-light period with those jerk baits, uh, but you could definitely catch some fish on jigs right now at Chatfield because we're, we're getting far enough along uh, on the post-spawn fish where you can do that. But for certain that, that that last two hours of light or even the first two hours of light, you get to the lake at 6.30, a.m., those fish are hanging in those spawning areas right until about 8 a.m. So you have a, a solid hour, hour and a half in the morning um, if you don't want to night fish that you can still really have a great opportunity with those jerk baits on uh, those fish in the North Boat Dock Cove as well as over there on the Handicap Pier. Another, I'll, I'll throw in two cents worth, too, is if you uh, 
you know, Char- Char- Chatfield isn't very far from Bear Creek Reservoir, and Bear Creek has saw guys in it. The saw guys tend to be a little more aggressive and a little closer to shore. So if you don't have any luck at Chatfield, don't be afraid to go over and try Bear Creek. You might might find a little more shoreline activity for saw guys, which are just like a walleye there. So let's switch now to boats for Chatfield and Cherry Creek. So if you were out on Chatfield and you weren't trying to front end the TV host and the boat with you, how would you approach it? You know, Terry, we got a lot of boat opportunities. And I've been talking to people all week because the warm weather's got everybody excited. Uh, You know, a lot of people are asking, inquiring about guide trips and just the bike in general. Um, And and we're in that post-spawn state. So you have the option. Now, obviously, Terry, everybody knows me. I... Everybody has a style, and they have a, a an idea of who they want to be as an angler. Terry, at the end of the day, we are about catching fish at Tightline Outdoors. It's just kind of who I am. And, um, you know, we talk to so many anglers that are artificial only, and I have no issues with bait. We just want to catch fish. So if you came to me right now as a, a general person who said, hey, I don't want a night fish. I'm going out on my boat daytime. I want to catch fish. Right now, for me, it's all about trolling lead core at both Chatfield and Cherry Creek. Now, this has been a, a very popular technique at Cherry Creek as long as the lake's been around. Uh, but those, your post-spawn fish really gather in the basin at Cherry Creek. We've been talking about it. You troll lead core at you know 1.2 to 1.6 miles an hour, and you keep your bait two inches off bottom. Now, it is literally the simplest technique and the hardest technique all in one. Um, I mean, the fish are stacked in the basin. The basin's 18 to 22 feet. It's literally the middle of the lake. Now, you can drive around aimlessly all day long, and you're going to catch fish. Ideally, you're going to stare at your graph, and you're going to find where those fish are at. You're going to catch some fish. As you catch fish, you're going to circle them, and there's definitely little pods of fish that are more active than others. So, ideally, you really hone in on the, the most active fish and just really kind of you know pound on those all day. Um, but when I say that these fish are just off bottom, um, I mean, obviously, they're, they're shad in that lake. We tend to see these walleyes feed on shad on the later portion of the post-spawn. So let's just say it takes a walleye three weeks to post-spawn. Um, and a post-spawn is going to be these fish regaining all the weight that they lost during the spawn. So, you know, you see a fish from the spawn time, you know, literally the, the moment they spawn to when they're what we consider 100% post-spawn, they usually lose about 25% of their body mass. Now, these fish will, will take, you know, three weeks to a month to post-spawn. So the first half of that, a good portion of these fish are in the mud feeding on midges, feeding on bloodworms. And you don't believe me, go catch a fish at Cherry Creek right now, look in its mouth. You're going to see these little midges. You're going to see these little worms. Um, they're gorging on them. So you have to have that bait just inches off bottom. I say this, but yet anglers take my advice. They go out there and they struggle. Um, and then I go out there and, you know, and the bite's hot because literally you have to be just off bottom. So you can use a line counter and never touch bottom and get the bait right there. Or you can just go very simple, let out line till you nick bottom and just barely lift it up. And you're constantly checking this. You're checking this every 30 seconds to a minute um, to make sure that you are just off bottom. You are off bottom you're going to catch fish. Now, rifle through a whole bunch of baits and colors until you figure out what's working for you. But the fish, they're not as picky. I would say they're more picky on color than bait. But but change things up. Go through a lot of stuff until you catch fish. But that bite is hot. You move over to Chatfield. That's the same thing. So right in front of Plum Creek, you have a large 20 to 25-foot mud flat 
Um, that entire area right there has a ton of daytime post-spawn fish. Um, same thing, they're activating on all that small forage down right off the mud. So you're doing the exact same technique with tech, with lead core. You can also at Chatfield go along basically the whole west shore. So from the north boat dock to the swim beach, um, kind of offshore a couple hundred yards, you have a massive mud flat there just inside of one of those road beds. Um, and that's a great lead core bite. So again, I know a lot of people necessarily don't love trolling, but if you want to catch fish, that that's probably the best way to do it. Now, if you're the angler that says, hey, I, I'm a walleye guy, I'm a jig guy, I, I don't want to troll, um, you would go to your Chatfields and Cherry Creeks, and you're going to spend a lot of time behind the windshield and using your electronics, and you're looking for the fish the furthest along in post-spawn, and those are the fish that are going to be sitting on structure. Ideally speaking, the sun helps them. Um, so if I was going to say, hey, I'm not into trolling, you know, get me a jig bite, you're going to go out and spend a little bit more time in the afternoon. Um, you know, definitely the, the second half of the day is going to be better for that. And you're looking at all your structure points. So your points extending into the water, your road beds, your flat, looking at the edge of all your structure like you would in summer and just pull up and look for those fish. If they're on there, they're, they're there for a reason. They're there to feed. So if you see them on, on the graph on structure and they're on the structure, um, they're very catchable with a jig. And you can throw paddle tails. You could throw twister tails. Um, you, know, you could tip that with bait or run them as is. Probably the biggest thing that I do for these these fish this time of year, I bulk up my bait just a little bit. So if I'm fishing a three inch paddle tail most of the year, this time of year I might fish a four inch or a three and a half inch. I kind of use a little bit larger bait because those fish want to eat. Um, so again, you're not just pulling up to the structure and fishing. You are very much graphing it, um, and you might have to go through a dozen spots before you find fish. Once you find fish, catch them. Once those fish move get back behind the wheel uh, and search. You are very much hunting if you're looking for those jig fish right now. And as we move through April, uh, more and more fish will start stacking on structure. But right now, if that's your technique, you definitely have to move through a lot of spots before you find those key spots. What about the fish that are still on the mud flats eating the, the um, blood worms and the midges? Have you tried? I know it's a slow tactic, and a lot of a lot of times people get frustrated with it. But have you tried live bait rigs like a Lindy rig and a Nightcrawler, a leech, a minnow? Yeah, absolutely. And that bite does exist. I will say you're not getting quite enough reaction out of it, so it's not quite as good. But if that is your technique, I would try to do something that you can cover the most ground with because those fish are spread out. So a traditional like Lindy rig or live bait rig with a, a minnow, a crawler, or a leech, um, you know, you're usually pulling that at maybe 0.7 to maybe a mile an hour but after about a mile an hour you're just dragging it too fast it doesn't look natural so if you switch up to like a slow death technique or evolve which is very much a, a 65 70 degree technique but that behind a bottom bouncer a three-way or a larger live bait rig um you could bump that up to maybe 1.2 miles an hour and you can cover enough ground, you get enough movement out of that, that revolver, that slow death style hook, um, that you can activate those fish. So if you don't have lead core and you're really looking for to still kind of catch fish, slow death would be the way to go because it allows you to get a little reaction and still cover quite a bit of ground. Uh, but with that, if you don't have lead core, I think three ways is probably another great way. Now you can you know, search up the content that you've produced about three ways. I have some stuff out there, but three ways, you literally take a, a three-way swivel, um, do a dropper down to you know, anywhere from a one to three ounce weight, and then you do three, four feet of line out the back, 
and you can put a little crankbait, a stick bait, and you can drag that in that mud, and that's going to put that bait that three, four inches off bottom, and that is a great way to catch fish and not have to invest in equipment. So you can take your spinning rods, your casting rods, your bottom bouncer rods, um, run three ways, and run little crankbaits, little paddle tails, things like that behind that three-way, produce the same type technique that we're doing with lead core, and go out there and have a great day catching a lot of fish. Nate, we are out of time. If people want more information or to get a hold of you, how do they do it? You know, you can always go to our website, tightlineoutdoors.com, always on Facebook, Tightline Outdoors. Also, we encourage everybody, our first catch rate event is in two weeks, uh, so super excited about that. It's our first night event, uh, so it's like 5 to 11, so it's a later evening bike. Uh, that's going to be catch rate. That's on April 16th. The information is on our website, and not to push guide trips, but if you are thinking about a guide trip this year, I encourage you, call us now. We are booking up so fast. Uh, we hate to have those calls where we disappoint people, so if you're looking for a guide trip get a hold of us asap and we can get you out there on the water all right my friend we'll talk to you next week we'll talk to you soon thank you terry all right nate zelinski we're going to take a quick time out we come back ronnie castiglione is going to join us and talk about his favorite spring patterns right here on terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan let's go right to the phones and joining us, he hasn't been on for a while. He's been too busy. Ronnie Castiglione. Ronnie, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. I understand you're on the water at Horsetooth, or is that or is that where you're at? Yes, sir. I am on Horsetooth Reservoir this morning, and we're out here, and we're catching a lot of fish and having a good time. Uh, quite a few boats on the, on the lake this morning. You know, there's a bass tournament going off, and there's quite a few recreational boats out and about, so People are out on the lake, even though the lake's only been open for a few days, Terry. But uh, water temperatures are still very, very cold out here. There's no doubt about that, Terry. I'm looking at 40 degrees on my graph right now. You know, ice really just came off this reservoir two weeks ago. So it's early in the year action that we're seeing, but we're having no problem catching fish, Terry. Now, how do you approach uh, – uh, you're a multi-species angler. You like to chain, uh, chase a variety of species. What was your game plan going out there today, and have you stuck to it, or have you had to adapt? Terry, you know, every year it seems like I just do things in reverse that I did in the fall. So last year, as we were, you know, late fall into winter, we were doing a lot of vertical jigging, looking at transitions, looking at areas of the lake where uh, the bait fish might be pushed up to a point or pushed up to a transition where the rock changes. Uh, we've been out this morning looking at a lot of those same spots, and we're finding fish in those same areas. I can tell you this, Terry, uh, last night when I got into my boat and, and looked at the rods I had laying on the deck from late last year, those were all the same rods I wanted rigged up with the same presentations to get out early this year. So I don't change up a whole lot. I just kind of backtrack from what I was doing in the fall, and it seems like just kind of following that year in and year out you know, keeps me consistent. Now, you said you're doing some vertical jigging, or is that with metal like spoons and blades and jigging wraps, or are you or the, the Ronnie darter, or are you using uh, more soft plastics and jigs? Well, mostly the metal baits, Terry. We're looking at blade baits, we're looking at darter baits, things like that. Um, really trying to elicit reaction strikes from these fish. The water is cold, like I mentioned. These fish are relatively lethargic, but if you can get one to bite on a reaction-style bait, it's kind of been my experience that you're going to run through a whole bunch of them in real quick order once you get the school fired up. So 
Um, the blade baits have been working. The darter baits have been working. As we get later in the day here, I'm going to start throwing some jerk baits and maybe winding some crank baits a little bit shallower because I expect some of these fish to move up onto the bank once the bait fish that we're kind of looking for move off from the shore and suspend. And so that's kind of the key thing to understand, Terry. When we get out of here early in the morning, this time of year or late in the fall, early in the morning you'll find schools of smelt or schools of shad They'll be deep. They'll be 40, 50, 60 feet deep, and they'll be touching the structure. They'll be pushed right up to the bank. As the sun gets real high and bright in the sky, a lot of times what we see is those schools of smelt will pull out off the bank. They may be at the same depth. They may still be at that 50 to 60 foot range, but they'll no longer be making contact with the structure. Uh, it's been my experience that getting out there and fishing when they're like that, it's tough to get those fish to play out there in open water. But a lot of times a good portion of the fish that might have been deep early in the morning feeding on the bait fish that were pushed to the structure, those are the fish that tend to slide up later in the afternoon and you can target those fish a little differently with something like a jerk bait or grinding a crankbait real deep, Terry. I don't know. Are you finding mostly bass, a few walleyes? What species are you finding out there? So far, it's been all smallmouth for us, and that's kind of not a surprise. We haven't really looked at the areas where I suspect the walleyes to be. Um, we're probably pre-spawn right now up here at Horsetooth with the water temperatures being as low as they are. But these fish usually move to spawn as far as the walleyes go in just another week or so here. And so later in the day, we may go poke around some of those real kind of 45-degree medium riprap banks that we know these fish like to spawn on. But we'll just look a little bit deeper out on those banks and see and kind of mark and see if we're, we're seeing any fish on our electronics. And then we may go about trying to catch some of those walleyes on something like a little paddle tail swim bait, just working it real slow along the bottom, or trying to get those walleyes to react to one of those darter baits or something like a blade bait. You know, if we were here later in the day and if it was getting dark and we were kind of focused on that evening, then I would definitely be looking at that jerkbait bite this time of year up here at Horsetooth, especially, Terry. Uh, I know a lot of guys have been out. They've been walking the banks already up here and have been having success with that jerkbait bite. Middle of the day like this, that jerkbait bite's a little bit tough to get going on those walleyes. So that's kind of the way we're going about doing it, Terry. You got a few tips for people. You know, we talk about the darter baits. You you make one of your own called the Ronnie Darter. There's the Johnny Darter from Berkeley. There's a jigging wrap for people who are familiar with that. <clears throat> Do you have a couple tips, uh, the way people should approach that or mistakes you see people make fishing that lure? Yeah, Terry, throw them where you're not going to snag them. That's probably one of the biggest <laughs> tips I can give you. You know, you can get out here and you bang your head against the wall trying to work those kind of presentations on top of this riprap and on top of these points and on top of, you know, a lot of this stuff that's super, super snaggy. But, you know, if you understand what the banks look like under the water, how these rocks transition under the water, then I tend to focus on those transitions. I'm looking for those areas where the rock spills off and either turns to gravel, which I'm less likely to get snagged in, or where those rocks kind of transition into dirt. And I tend to focus on those areas. So it's one of those deals, Terry. It's kind of a spot-on-spot spot sort of a thing. So you can run to a point on, on this lake right now, and, and you can fish right on top of the point with a blade bait or a darter, and you're, you're going to snag it. You're going to lose them. There's no doubt about it. But if you look deeper on either side of that 45, 
Green Bank going off the main lake, or if you look on the bluffy side of that point and just kind of picture in your mind and understand what that water looks like, you know, what the, what the, what the structure looks like under the water, focus on those areas where you can work those presentations. Uh, you know, it's my experience, especially early in these years, as these fish move out of the real deep basins and start to work their way up and move around a lake like horsetooth, they tend to utilize those transition areas as the highway areas. And I've even seen videos in the past online of underwater footage of, of smallmouth and walleyes really just kind of focusing and moving along those transition areas at the base of the rocks and that's kind of what we're looking for, Terry. We're looking for those areas. Uh, getting snagged with those presentations on a body of water like this is definitely the biggest issue most people have trying to utilize those kind of baits. Now, I have one other quick question. Well, I have two quick questions. We're going to have to make them short. But one is, when I fish a, a glider-type bait, I tend to use a little softer tip in the rod, but I don't want to go too soft. I want enough of backbone where I'm moving that bait. But... <clears throat> When you do hook up, if you don't have some give, a lot of times they'll throw that bait pretty easily. How do you? Yeah, they will. They will, Terry. There's no doubt about it. And in my experience, I like utilizing fluorocarbon rather than a braided line for that kind of a presentation. And I know a lot of guys like to use the braided line, but if you're going to use the braid and work these kind of presentations, then you got to either soften your drag up, especially as that fish gets close to the boat, or like you're talking about, you got to have a rod that's got some forgiveness in the tip to account for the fact that those fish are going to kind of, you know, dart away and, and rip and jump and shake their heads. you got to have that sponginess in the rod. Um, I go with fluorocarbon, and I go with kind of a medium-heavy casting rod or a medium-heavy spinning rod, and... The rod itself is relatively stiff that I'm utilizing, but I get stretch from that fluorocarbon, and I also do play my drag quite frequently, Terry. So I know once I get a good fish on and it's getting near the boat, I'm going to back that drag off to compensate for that surge. But it's just understanding that it's a big, heavy piece of metal that you're utilizing, whether it's a blade bait, whether it's a spoon, whether it's a darter. And, you know, those fish will shake their head and they're going to surge. So you got to account for that. Um, that's, that's one of the big keys of being successful in landing these fish. Hooking them can be relatively easy a lot of days. Keeping them pinned can be tough. Now, we only got about a minute or two left. Um, if you were going to head out to Boyd today instead of Horsetooth, would your tactics have been different? It would have been a little bit of the same. I would have been looking for gravel relatively deep on Boyd. Uh, primarily, I'd be looking for walleyes right now on Boyd and maybe some smallmouth on some of the gravel and some of the harder banks that you can find, some of the concrete, things like that. We see a lot of walleyes early in the year um, out in front of the riprap areas on Boyd. You know, they're probably in full-on spawn mode at that lake, if not already done, that kind of a thing. Um, this time of year, I also like running up on to the flats if I'm going to look for largemouth on Boyd, uh, the north flat, the southern flat, kind of those areas that are going to warm up a little bit faster, really paying attention to my graph, looking for the warmer water, and I'll utilize things like a bladed jig, you know, a chatterbait, that sort of a thing, or, or really ripping a rattle trap in and around the grass that's starting to grow in. Uh, I'm still looking for a lot of reaction strikes this time of year on that lake, so I'm not slow dragging a lot of presentations, but that's kind of what I would be going about doing. Also on board, the trout are going to be real, real easy right now. 
So if you're just looking to get a rod bent and you're looking to get some action, if you troll around Boyd and spend some time doing that, you're going to have no problem catching trout on a shallow running jerkbait or on something like a flicker minnow or a flicker shad or a spoon or just kind of the usual suspects, Terry. So that would kind of be how I'd go about it. All right, my friend, we are out of time, but uh, thank you for joining us. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? You can get me, Ronnie, at Fishful Thinker. You can find me, Ronnie Castiglione, on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I'm still kind of in pause mode this year as far as guiding Terry. You know, I'm waiting to get vaccinated so that I can get out and get some clients out. But we'll just kind of have to see how that goes. But there's a chance I'll still be, you know, I'll be doing some guide trips later in the year. So just contact me if you're looking to get out. And if I can't get you out, then I'll put you with touch with Chad Lachance or put you in touch with uh, Dan Swanson. And, and those guys will do their best to get you out. All right, my friend, you and I need to get out very soon on the water together. We will, we Terry. Will. Let's try to do it maybe this week. All right, and we'll talk to you very soon. All right. That's Ronnie, you bet. Ronnie Castiglione. We're going to take a quick time out. we come back, we're going to change things up. JR is going to join us from Colorado Clays, and we're going to talk about dogs and shotguns and about turkey hunting. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. Oh, sure, Kyle. You play one of my favorite Eagles songs while Jr. is waiting, and I'm already late getting to him. Sorry about that, Jr. <laughs> no, you're not. Let's go right to the phones. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fans. And let's go right to the phones, because we's one of our favorite people. We don't want to make him wait. Jr. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning, Jr. Good morning, Terry. Hey, thanks for that apology. I'm, I know it was sincere. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we could have been friends. It just never worked out. I don't know why. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, Jr. I want to talk about turkey hunting at patterning and handling your shotgun. But before I get to that, one of the things we preach on this show is about hunting is don't get ready when a hunting season comes. Be ready when it comes. And this is the time of the year that a lot of guys or guys and gals, a lot of people are training their bird dogs, whether it's upland game, waterfall, you guys are dog-friendly out there, and it's a great place to get dogs used to the shotgun, isn't it? Yeah, Terry, and, and you're right. And that's just another great example of the large scope of usefulness that uh, Colorado Clays has to the Colorado outdoorsmen and women. And we always talk about the more obvious aspects of Colorado Clays, like our you know state-of-the-art rifle and pistol, our training trap, our ATA trap fields, our skeet fields, wobble trap sporting, all of the corporate and fundraising shooting events we host and, and can sign up, individual group training for rifle, pistol, shotgun, sighting clinics, concealed carry, and much, much more, Terry. But we don't often really talk enough about the fact that of the thousands and thousands of people visiting Colorado Clays each year, a large percentage of them are hunters with hunting dogs. And with Colorado Clays being a very dog-friendly facility, as you said, we actually help many of these people out with different stages of training of their dogs, whether they are upland or waterfowl hunters. And although we don't have specific dog training areas and such, as long as our customers keep their pets leashed we and under control, they're welcome to bring them out. Now, certainly, Terry, the most common visit is bringing a hunting pup out, and that is to get them accustomed to the report of a firearm. 
And the great thing about Colorado Plays is that you can actually start this process at a distance, meaning maybe out in the parking lot and slowly work closer to these sounds. And as the pup begins to associate these sounds with fun and a good time, the training process becomes easier. Because I think we've all been there where, where the first time out, um, we get a loud report right over the dog and he gets gun shy. So um, that is one of the really good benefits, and I see that all the time. Uh, of course, another situation we see is people bringing hunting out, dogs out to be around those familiar shot sounds, but develop the understanding that there will not always be a bird to retrieve because of it. And I think we've seen that before. You know, some come up, uh, miss a shot, the dog is certain there's a bird, and uh, we have trouble getting them back. So I see a lot of folks doing that as well. Um, it's kind of a no-bird communication that be, can be helpful to dogs that may already have some experience. And, you know, Terry, I think finally, uh, any time you can spend in an environment different than the normal develops that relationship between the dog and the owner. So um, it's always a win-win coming out with, with a pup or a hunting dog to Colorado plays. Well, one of the things I never had an issue was my dog expecting there to be a, shot, a bird when I shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that would be some great training for that one, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he just would kind of look at me like, again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but you're right. No, it is, you know, all kidding aside, you know, it, it's hard to find a place where you can get dogs used to the report of a firearm and if you're training a gun dog, obviously that's critical. And for Colorado Clays to offer that kind of opportunity along with everything else, it's just uh it's just a great place to go, and I'm sure you probably know some dog trainers and people, too, that you can put people in touch with. Yeah, you know, we do, Terry. We have a lot of uh, a lot of our customers, a lot of our associates that are in the industry. Some of them are, you know, planted bird hunts. Some of them are dog trainers. So we'll always refer uh, anybody wanting an extra tip when they're training their dog uh, certainly to one of the high-end people around the, uh, the state here. And, you know, Terry, on that note, uh, a lot of folks just don't like leaving the dog home when they come out for a, a, a day at Colorado Clays. And I will say we have a lot of dogs that have never seen a bird or heard of a bird that come out rather than leaving them at the house or let, rather than leaving them locked up, bring them with you. Take them for a walk around the parking lot. Uh, take turns shooting. It's just always good, and we love the animals here. Uh, always welcome. You bet. I want to switch gears on you real quick. We are right up against it. Turkey season starts next weekend, I believe. And yep. there's still people that maybe aren't sure. They, they, they haven't patterned their gun, or they frantically couldn't find the ammunition that they needed, or they're worried about they have the wrong, maybe the wrong gauge of shotgun. What can you do to help those people out? Well, Terry, our pattern board's been going here lately. Lots of folks getting ready, and I totally applaud them for doing that because it's the right thing to do. And, of course, we talked about the reasons for patterning a gun. Uh, point of aim, point of impact. So just confirm that your gun, when you're, where you're aiming it, where you're pointing it, is where you're hitting and make adjustments as needed beforehand. Of course, determining our effective dis distance is very important as well, meaning that our pattern density with the choke gun and ammo combination will make uh, the, the shot that you want. 
And then, of course, in 2021, Terry, uh, we were being limited by ammo and choke availability. So sometimes you got to think out the box. And I believe I mentioned this. Uh, I had a guy couldn't get the 12-gauge ammo he wanted. So he went ahead and got a custom choke, uh, found some really good 20-gauge turkey loads, and I will say it's the best 45-yard um, pattern with a 20-gauge that I think I have ever seen. He had over 20 pellets on target. And the reason, um, he knew he didn't have what he wanted, and he made adjustments, came to Colorado Clays, and we got that gun dialed in. Uh, 100% certain that anything under 45, he'll be cleaning. Uh, one thing also, Terry, we talked about this last time, and I can't emphasize this enough because we see it over and over, is practicing your shot sequence. And by that, I mean establish your shooting position, whether you're going to be sitting, standing, sticks, whatever it may be, um, target acquisition. So from that position, acquire your target. Uh, judging distance, this is something that is priceless at the Colorado Clays patterning area, is that it allows you to just distance uh, from your shooting position to your target. Uh, again, confirming a good gun mount and a proper sight picture when you do bring the gun up. Uh, safety manipulation doesn't sound like a big deal, but turning your safety on and off during this process, I see it all the time. Folks come out, they go to do it, they squeeze, nothing there. So getting that safety manipulation as part of your shot sequence, very important. And then, of course, that smooth trigger squeeze, a good follow-through, which is important on any shot, and confirm that things are working like they need to, and it will make a lot of times the difference between success and failure because oftentimes that window when we're in the field is shorter than we want it to be. Well, I want to go through that shot sequence even a little more. You talked about the safety. Um, if uh, One of the things they teach in self-defense is if you have a safety on your gun, like if you're using a, a 1911-type uh, handgun where you have a, a, a thumb safety on it, uh, they'll teach you to practice always bringing the gun up taking the safety off you you shoot the way you practice if you don't practice taking that safety off just like turkey hunting if you think well i'm just going to shoot but when i'm out there i'll have the safety on boy it if you don't if you pull that trigger and it doesn't go off your timing gets so messed up it can mess up the entire rest of the shot uh totally agree terry and that is true whether you're shooting a pistol a rifle or a shotgun um whatever you're doing and it doesn't matter if it's recreational competitive or in the field um, developing the the pattern and the sequence of a shot will absolutely pay off in the long run and we see it all the time uh, i've done it myself i know you have and uh, there's no better way to get around um, having having an opportunity lost a target missed uh, a competition whatever the case lost because you are not familiar with your gun and your shot sequence. Yeah, and practice the way you're going to shoot. Practice with that safety off so you learn to turn it on before you shoot so it becomes automatic. Otherwise, I've seen people turn their safety on before they shoot. They already had it. I mean, it's just, you just got, you're going to shoot the way you practice. JR, we got to run, but if people want to get a hold of you, tell them how they find Colorado Clays. 
please give us a call, 303-659-7117. We can get you going with any question, or feel free to visit the website, coloradoclays.com. Take the virtual tour to check out the facility. And again, Tara, we always look forward to seeing everyone, and we'll take care of whatever your needs are. All right, my friend. You and I will get out fishing very soon, too. We've got to look forward to that. Agreed, Terry. All right. Have a good rest of the weekend, my friend. You as well. Thanks. J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Just great people. If you're looking to do some shooting, do some practicing, if you're getting ready for turkey hunting, he has compiled so much information on patterning and shots and chokes. Just spending some time talking to him is going to help you so much. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I'll tell you what, Kyle, Jim Croce, that song you're playing, he died way too young. The man was an incredible entertainer. Yeah, he was. Uh, I just love his music. This really hits home with me. Hey, I want to remind everybody, we are starting trivia next week. So during the week, Karen will post something that went on in our, we're in our 24th year of the show. She'll post that on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And in that post will be the answer to a trivia question I will ask on the air next week. And if you know that answer, you're going to have a chance to win a $50 gift uh, certificate from Jack's Outdoor Gear. We'll have some more trivia coming up over the next few weeks. So you want to follow us, you know those answers. Who couldn't use 50 bucks worth of outdoor gear right now? Another thing we didn't cover today in fishing was the pond fishing. Talked a lot about the walleyes, the bass in the lakes, what's going on. We talked about the fly fishing. And by the way, I will post um, a number of those podcasts on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors again. So if you missed them, you can go back and review them really easily. But ponds right now, uh, this warm weather we're having is going to really bring up the water temperature in those small bodies of water. So it's going to prevent present great shore opportunities for bass and panfish. If there's a pond anywhere near your house that's typically stocked, you're going to have just tremendous opportunities to uh, get out there and catch some fish. And you don't have a lot, need a lot of expensive gear, a medium spinning rod, or even an ultralight if you're going after the panfish and a handful of lures, you can have a great day. So hit those ponds right now. They're going to start getting really active. We're still going to have a lot of trout close to shore in the front range, but they're going to start moving away pretty soon as this water warms. So you may want to take advantage of where they've stocked at the lower elevations, get out and catch those right away. And remember, your Colorado fishing license expired March 30th, uh, March 31st. I can't remember. End of March. I don't remember if there's 30 or 31 days in March, but um, April 1st, you need a new fishing license. So if you haven't got that, go get one. And, you know, if you plan on getting out this year, get an annual fishing license because what it will allow you to do, you know, instead of buying one day every time you go, that adds up in a hurry. The price of a fishing license in Colorado is really inexpensive, and it gets you access to our state wildlife areas. It acts as your permit to get in if you have a fishing license. So even if you don't fish that much and you just hike at, lawn hagler or something like that you're going to get you're going to have that as a permit to get you in there so go renew your fishing license get out and spend some time i also want to talk about our youtube channel you know we covered on the show today chatfield cherry creek pueblo boyd horsetooth and a lot of fly fishing like deckers uh, the arkansas river 
Colorado River, every one of those spots, there is a video on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, that covers time, technique, how to approach them, great information, and in some cases recommends guides for those areas. But all those, because we did two television shows, we did Mountain States Fishing, and we did Angling Adventures. Now, Angling Adventures, we tended to travel more, but some of that was right in this area too. But Mountain States Fishing was pretty much in your backyard, and those shows were filmed right here. So about half the shows on our site were filmed right here where you go fishing, and they're just full of information. They're legacy shows. We filmed them a while ago, but there's tons of great information. So go check out our YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and follow us on Facebook. It's just uh, it, it just keeps you in touch with what's going on in the show. And remember, we're going to have trivia. And get out and enjoy this beautiful weather. I know as soon as they're done, Karen and I are going to hit the outdoors. It's, we've got a beautiful weekend coming up. We've got like three, four more days of 70s, and we're still going to be in the 60s. Time is ripe to get out there and just enjoy the outdoors and respect other people. We need to share the outdoors. We have a lot more outdoor enthusiasts out there. Let's make sure everybody's out there to have fun. There's nobody out there with evil intentions. And we may have a different agenda on how we want to enjoy it, but let's try to enjoy it together. And, you know, we're kind of coming out of this COVID thing. Hopefully we can get back to normal. I want to thank Kyle for keeping this thing on the air as we go from our remote studio in Fort Collins and Karen for making this show work every week like she always does. Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11 right here on 104.3 The Fan. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in ESPN Sports on 104.3 The Fan.